I had my children on the floor. I was on my favorite blanket that my grandmother gave me on the floor like a cat. And I realized in that moment, the potential of what our bodies can really do as women. Like I could feel his head. I could do my own internal, like, yeah, his head, I could feel it. I was in tears. I was just in tears and overwhelmed with gratitude. Hi, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast, the podcast that is bringing embodied birth wisdom from women from all over the world sharing their natural birth stories. Don't forget to subscribe and download so that you can always have access to these empowering and positive natural birth stories. Hi, my name is Anna, also known as the Spiritual Midwife, and I am the Natural Birth Podcast host. I'm a midwife and a childbirth educator, and I assist women in optimizing their chances of having an empowering and natural birth experience and a nourishing and healing postpartum. I offer holistic birth preparation and postpartum online courses worldwide for the conscious mama wanting to prepare emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually for her birth and for her postpartum. And if you want to know more about me and what I do in the world, then visit me at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. If you had a natural and empowering birth experience that you would like to share with the world, then you can email me at anna_the_spiritual_midwife at gmail.com and maybe your story will be featured on the Natural Birth Podcast. Now let's dive into today's episode. Today on the Natural Birth Podcast, we have Amanda. Amanda is a mom of two from Virginia, USA. She planned to have a natural birth with both her babies. The first one cared for by an obstetrician and the second with midwives. And though she had prepared and really wanted a natural birth with her first, she ended up going down the medicalized route guided by her obstetrician. The second time around, she changed practitioners until she found the right fit where she felt safe and with whom she trusted. And with midwives at her service, she had the natural birth that she had envisioned. It has actually been found that women who plan to birth at home has a far higher normal birth rate at around 90% compared to the women birthing in the hospital which is at around 60%. To birth with midwives compared to obstetricians has similar stats. And this is important to consider when choosing your care provider. You can be fully prepared and believe in natural birth, but if your care provider or the culture at the hospital doesn't have the same, you have a bigger chance of not having the natural birth you want. Hi, Amanda, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. I look forward to hearing about your birth stories. You have had uh, two births. I know the first one around five years ago was 
more of a medicalized um, birth story. We're going to dive in a little bit into that and and see how that then informed you to wanting to to maybe have a different kind of birth this time around. And you had your second Baba just about four months ago. Is that correct? Yes, she's four months old. Beautiful. Well, uh, with no further ado, Amanda, I'd love to hear a little bit about you know your reasoning around your first pregnancy. Um, how did you prepare? Um, and what kind of care did you seek? And so on and so forth. Um, my first pregnancy, I really had no idea what I wanted at the start of it. But um, some of my reasoning, I I tend to lean towards a holistic lifestyle anyways, and I love to research. So I think that was kind of just what got me started. I wanted to know everything about my body during pregnancy. And that kind of led me just by learning about that led me to um, natural birth for the option. Mm. And I definitely didn't think I was strong enough to do that. Um, But I was also really terrified of having an epidural because um, when I was 10 or 11, I had to have a spinal tap and I, that did not go well. And I had some side effects um, for a couple of years after. So I was very scared of that prospect. And I had, you know, been in the room with my mom when she had gotten one with my brother and I just did not like the idea of that. So that was kind of my fuel for researching natural birth. Um, And then I started reading birth stories and realized that there were lots of women that were doing it and have done it. And of course, you know, millions upon millions of women that have done it before me. So I thought, well, maybe I can do this. Um, So I read all of your, you know, typical reading material, like, you know, all the famous ones, Anime Gaskins. Um, I took a class called, um, I think it's natural mama, um, birthing class. And that was informational. Um, and I just, I read more than anything in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep, I read, um, I, I didn't, I hadn't found a podcast though, which is interesting. I never had thought to, um, look for a podcast, but I tried to find as many birth videos on YouTube as I could. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was my approach. Um. I had an OB and it was actually, she was older. She was actually the OB that delivered my husband. Wow. Um, Yes. So, and, and I was wrong to think that she was, I don't, I think I knew better than to think that she was, you know, holistic in any way, but she was kind of crunchy, which I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but she didn't wear makeup. She, um, you know, wore Birkenstocks. She had, you know, this, <laughs> I mean, you know, like she had this vibe of like being maybe, um, maybe not so medicalized, <laughs> but I think she was super old school and did things. Um, actually she was like one of the top doctors in the hospital for episiotomies. So I was Whoa. wrong to assume <laughs> I was wrong to assume. Yeah. Um, thankfully she knew better than to do that with me, but, um, yeah, she was really nice, but she was uh, your straightforward, typical OB, you know, old school. Um, and I pretty much didn't have much in the way of, you know, any information under her care. I just went in for my checkups and had every sonogram that she offered. And I regret those things because I didn't get as far in my research to, you know, get to that point of like, 
oh, you don't have to say yes to all of this. Mm. It's not just, you know, you have a choice in it. Mm. Um, so I wish I had known more in, in the way of appointments and my, my prenatal care. Mm. Um, I feel like it would have gone a lot smoother, but, um, every, my pregnancy was super normal. I had your typical first trimester nausea. It wasn't, it wasn't extreme. And then it dropped off right as I hit my second trimester, which was lovely. Um, and you know, I did a lot. I didn't exercise this pregnancy, my first pregnancy. Um, and I feel like that could have helped me. Um, and my third trimester was pretty typical too. Um, I didn't have, you know, preeclampsia or anything, but I did have more swelling with that pregnancy. And I don't know if it's maybe because I wasn't as active. It was also in the summertime. Hmm. So um, a normal thing for women to do to swell up, especially in the third trimester, especially during summer. Um, yeah, you just yeah, have so much more, such a much bigger blood volume. And it just, yeah, it's a natural thing. Yeah. That does, it's un- uncomfortable, but it's not unusual. Yeah. Really, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you had this kind of straightforward obstetrician and mm-hmm. was that just, um, when you were researching about natural birth and everything, was there anything in that then popped up in your head? Oh, maybe I want to go with a midwife or was there no options like that? Or just, you just kind of maybe felt like the best thing was to have an obstetrician. What made you choose to go with an obstetrician this time? Well, without throwing my husband under the bus, <laughs> I, I was definitely like, Oh, you know, once I started researching, I'm very much like my personality, I'm kind of go big or go home. And I was immediately like, we're having a home birth. And he, you know, first time dad, first time everything with this, he was super concerned about that option for me. And if I had been more knowledgeable about it, I would have been able to stand, you know, on, on that knowledge and be like, you know, actually this could potentially be safer statistically, you know? Um, but I didn't really know. And I could see that he was scared and he's extremely supportive and loving. So I didn't want to make him feel, um, you know, even though I know it was about me and my body, I didn't want to make him feel like he didn't have a say and that, you know, I knew he was going to be terrified (laughs) either way, but I knew he was going to be really scared if we weren't near a hospital. Um, so I, I ended up going with, um, you know, the same OB I'd just been seeing for my regular checkups. And I felt like with my strong will and him advocating for me, we would be fine. Um, and I wish I had gotten a doula. I think it was more of a money issue for me at the time, but I, you know, I've learned from your podcast that you could find a doula in training and just have, you know, an extra person there that at least knows that side of it more in depth to advocate for you. And I wish I had done that, um, more and more so in retrospect, after I've had this birth, you know, I, I see all the things that I could have had in my first, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't have regrets in the sense that I did bring a healthy baby girl into the world and I did not get an epidural, which was my main goal, but (laughs) things could have been better. So, Um, so I know that you shared a little bit before that you had pre-rupture membranes, um, and, and they were premature as well. So your baby was 36 weeks and how many days? Sorry. Um, I think, let's see, I was due, I was due on the sixth and she, I'm sorry, I was due on the 29th and she came on the sixth, but my water broke on the fifth. 
So I believe I was due that next Sunday. No, I think I was due that next um, Saturday. I think that's right. So I think it was three days, 36 and three and a half days, something like that. Okay. Yeah. It was right there at the half mark. Yeah, exactly. And so um, you were premature in your ruptures of membranes and the management that your care provider chose was to induce you, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, it's so different where you are and care providers. I'm more used to expectant management, which is, um, you know, offering you antibiotics to minimize the risk of infection because you're ruptured Mm -hmm. membranes, um, but not to, to actively induce um, labor. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something called expected management where you still manage, you still check obviously to make sure the baby's doing well. Um, but you had that management, you had active, you had, you, you did go in for an induction, um, which was recommended by your care provider, which ended up, um, causing potentially that postpartum hemorrhage that you had yeah. um, because that mm-hmm. can happen when we cold start a, a woman and it's a side effect yeah. of being induced that that can happen um, mm-hmm. and your baby needed help after birth yeah. um, wasn't ready to be born distress. yeah mm-hmm. maybe and also it is a stress for a baby to be induced as well mm-hmm. um, yeah. and ended up having to be in NICU for a week is that correct mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, your story, I really understand that you wanted to have a different uh, outcome the second time around you got pregnant. And um, it sounded to me as well, like there wasn't really other options available for you when you did come in with these um, premature rupture of membranes. There was just this one way, um, which essentially was. Yeah, it was protocol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to force this birth to happen prematurely. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just want everyone to, you know, who's listening to really hear that there's always, always options. And so I think this is the biggest takeaway yeah. because you can't know everything. You know, you're not supposed right. to know everything. You're a mother, you know, you're not supposed to know everything that a midwife knows or a doctor knows so that you can advocate for yourself. You shouldn't even be, you know, have to advocate for yourself. You should know that as you're going to hospital or birth center or having someone come to your home, that you will be given all the risks and the benefits, the alternatives, everything that that's going to be given to you so you can make an informed decision in that now. Not that you have to find all the information before so you can fight a war. That's not what's supposed to happen. But unfortunately, that is the case for a lot of the majority of the world's women today, which is catastrophic. And so I'm so sorry that that was your experience you. the first time around. Yeah. Um, Do you want to share what, you know, what your experience was and how that informed you for your second? Um, It was definitely traumatic. Um, So much so that my husband, I I mean, I, I really felt for him um, because I, you know, when all of the things kind of, when all, when all the bad things started happening, which was that I hemorrhaged and, you know, the doctor told the nurses to book an OR. I mean, I, Mm. I was terrified I was going to have to have surgery and 
you know, here I am without an epidural and she's pulling clots out of me after I just had a baby. Um, there was, it, it was, it was nothing like I imagined, you know, my birth would be. Um, and he watched me go through that. And then they come back at, you know, 11 PM at night and tell us that they have to take our newborn to a different hospital because they didn't have a NICU there. And all of that, we were just in shock and it took him a very long time to come back around from that. And to even be able to imagine having another baby and us doing that again. Um, so when he, you know, it, it was a lot of conversations about, you know, how this time was going to be different and how we knew more and we were going to, um, you know, find a different care provider and all of those things. Um, and, you know, I think he just knew that um, in a way I wanted redemption mm. for that, even though I know it's not good to put pressure on your birth like that. I did, I didn't know that I could do it, you know, that this time would be better. I knew it in my heart, it would be. Um, and I wasn't scared at all. So we got pregnant with Georgia, um, you know, easily. And, and I was so thankful for that because it had been, you know, five years and you hear stories about women that can't get pregnant the second time as easily. And I was very thankful. Um, and it started just like my first one, July's, um, it was, um, I was nauseous, which I was thankful for. Cause you know, that means my hormone levels are rising and falling. And so I was excited about that. And it just really went smooth. I had, I worked out my entire pregnancy outside of the six weeks that I was sick, um, in the first trimester and my second trimester was awesome. I had so much energy and could run and play with my toddler. And I cleaned out every closet in my house. And, um, but I, the, the interesting part about that was I switched hospitals. So I switched to another big hospital in our area and it was the one with the NICU. And so I thought, well, at least it's there if I need it, but I, I wasn't even thinking that I would. Um, and I had a midwife within Krillian, but she's not a practicing midwife. So she was just for, for medical visits. Um, and she, she didn't have hospital privileges, but she was work. She was within the hospital organization. It's kind of weird, mm, but it sounds a bit weird. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out is. what you're saying. It, yeah. Okay. So, so she doesn't attend birth, but she's basically, she's an, basically acts as a nurse practitioner. So she does the antenatal um, and maybe postnatal visits, but she doesn't do birthing. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, I started thinking that that wasn't helpful to me <laughs> because, um, you know, I didn't, and did she, and honestly, she wasn't that holistic in her approach at all. She was actually very medicalized. I don't know if it's because she had been in a doctor's office for so long and maybe lost touch with the holistic side of things, but I felt like she was not very encouraging. And I asked her about a birth center because I was nervous about COVID restrictions. Mm. Um, cause I, you know, I was having Georgia, I was pregnant with Georgia during the pandemic. Mm. Um, so I was worried about what hospitals would be like come April of 2021. And, um, she said that she would not have a baby at either of our local birth centers. Mm. So I kind of took that at face value because I learned not to trust practitioners. <laughs> mm. And 
I just decided to switch. Um, and I switched to another nurse practitioner because I didn't like any of the OBs. I think I was just scared to commit, um, because I didn't like my options, honestly. Um, but I'm so thankful because at around 32 weeks, um, my friend who was newly pregnant had been researching. Um, there was a midwife program at another hospital and I thought it was just like this midwife I had been seeing. I didn't know they had hospital privileges, Mm -hmm. but they do. They, there's three of them and they deliver babies at the hospital. You don't have to have an OB. There's one on call if they need them, but Mm -hmm. they, you know, they deliver your baby. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited when she told me that. And I switched at 32 weeks to their care. And that is what changed my outcome. I'm sure of it, or at least changed the fact that I wasn't going to have to fight tooth and nail for what I wanted. Beautiful. And I think that's also a really good story, you know, because a lot of women feel, especially as they come into 30 plus weeks, that now it's too mm-hmm. late to change. And yes, it can be a really no. stressful thing to, to change care providers, but it's never too late. You can even change, you no. know at 39 weeks, 40 weeks, you can always change. I absolutely would have. mm, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to really follow your instinct, follow your intuition um, and trust yourself because it's so important who you birth with. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you got to see the, the, this midwives then and, uh, and how was that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They are, I mean, I could cry talking about them. They're so lovely. Um, and it was like a breath of fresh air and I felt like I could breathe. Um, they not in a bad way that they weren't, um, concerned about COVID, but they didn't make you feel like all they thought about was COVID. They wanted to know how I was doing. They didn't want to know if I had experienced symptoms in the last 10 days, (laughs) you know, they, um, they wanted to talk about my baby and me and my labor. And they wanted to know about my past labor and how that, you know, affected me. And immediately I knew I had made the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, there are three of them and they wanted you to be able to meet all of them. And of course I was getting close to where I was going to start coming weekly. And so I got to, to meet all three of them and I connected with all of them. Um, in my head, I had them ranked, of course, my favorite to the one I didn't connect with as much. And in saying that, the one that was lowest on my list, I connected with plenty. It was just that the other, you know, the one at the top of my list felt like a friend, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> but of course, you don't choose who gets to be at your birth because they're all on call. And um, they never did another scan on me. Um, they, I loved it because I never had an OB feel my belly. Um, they would measure my belly. Um, but they never felt for the baby felt for the position. I loved that because of course I'm, you know, being kind of a birth junkie. I'm like, is the baby OP? Is it OA? Like, well, you know, what, 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 how's my baby, you know, which position are they in? Are they ready for birth? And as soon as I went there, they immediately started me on birth positioning. So, um, or maternal positioning, uh, you know, spinning babies. And I had never done that before. And I'm just certain that my outcome with this birth was due to their knowledge and experience and Mm -hmm. honestly, their care for women, because you could see that most of all was how they cared for me. So, and that is so important. And this is what's so missing in our 
over-medicalized hospital system. You're just this body producing a baby and very much seen as if your physical body is working, then that's all that really matters. Now, I know that there's checks for depression and all of these things, but you only see a doctor or even a midwife in the hospital system for maximum 15 minutes. And it's just very much focused on your blood pressure and just listening to that baby for a minute, just that time, which doesn't really tell us actually. It's a snapshot. (laughs) It's a snapshot for sure. What's really important is how are you doing, mama? You know, and how can we support you? Yes. And that should be the focus always. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, let's dive on into to your birth story then. I, I can't wait to hear about your redemption birth. Yes, that's what I called it, even though my <laughs> husband did not like that pressure. <laughs> um, you know, I should say that he was extremely happy that I switched care. He told me, he said, you know, do whatever you need to do because I had told him how unhappy I had been. And, um, and he knew, of course, that I wasn't happy. And he was so thrilled. He said, um, I'm, you know, I'm a bit over the top with birth, especially being pregnant. And I, you know, of course would tell him about every podcast I listened to Poor guy. And, um, he told me after I came home and told him I loved the midwives. And of course I was crying and I was so relieved. And he said, babe, you willed that to happen. Mm. <laughs> and he, and I liked that he said that because I really, d- I was willing for something better you know, I wanted something better. And, um, so yeah, he was, he was so happy that I had found that and that I would have, you know, the support I wanted from women, not just him, because at that time I wasn't going to be able to have anyone else with me. So I knew it was just going to be him and my care provider. So anyways, I had a, a test of my patients with Georgia and, um, she, you know, I had a premature rupture of membranes with my first, well, this baby, I went two days past my due date. (laughs) Um, so it was a huge test of patience for me. I'm a, I'm a relaxed person in the sense that I'm go with the flow, but I'm also when it comes to things that are things that, um, pertain to me, I'm a bit of a control freak. (laughs) So I started having what I knew was prodromal labor at 38 weeks, maybe even a few days before. And I wasn't getting excited because I really wanted to go to term. Um, just with my experience with July, I knew I wanted this baby in there as long as possible. So I had already cut back at work and was taking it very easy other than lifting my normal amount of weights, walking with friends, that sort of thing. Um, and actually I had quit working out around 36 weeks as far as in the gym goes, because I was just done. I just felt like I've done it. I'm, you know, I've reached the point where I'm, I just felt like my body knew it was time to, to lay off of that. So I was actually just walking and, um, I started having contractions in the middle of the night and they would wake me up, but they weren't painful. And so they were just more of a nuisance at that point, you know, I would wake up and bounce my birth ball, or I would just lay there and listen to podcasts and a couple nights in a row, they would last for like four hours. Um, and then I would wake up in the morning and I would be really tired from it. So I was not getting much sleep at that point 
from contractions and also just general insomnia. I just did not sleep well at the end of this pregnancy. Um, I was going to the chiropractor regularly. Um, and he was, you know, doing the, um, Webster technique, which, you know, I felt like was really helping my sacrum stay in position. And he had me doing exercises and I was still doing my spinning babies. Um, so all in all, I was happy that I was experiencing prodromal labor because I knew I was probably making some progress in some way, but it was also very tiring. And I ended up, um, at 39 weeks, um, my midwife asked me, you know, how I was feeling and I, I was frustrated. And so, um, in retrospect, I regret doing this, but she did a membrane sweep for me. And I sort of felt like it ended up not helping me. It, it actually, I, I bled a lot from it and I was uncomfortable and it wasn't her fault. It was, you know, me being impatient, but it actually didn't help. I mean, it might've helped me progress, you know, um, in the end, as far as how, you know, much my cervix was dilated, but I was very uncomfortable from it. So it kind of just prolonged, you know, my discomfort at that point. Um, so I guess at 40 weeks, I went in for my normal checkup and, you know, they were like, it's just, you're in the end game. It's, you know, they were trying to encourage me. I called them several times that week and was just like, you know, I understand why women get induced now. This is so hard. And I, I feel like, um, I, I sometimes I'm hard on myself about it. I'm like, gosh, you were such a baby at the end. Like just, you know, you should have just been dealing, <laughs> but I, and I think in, in retrospect too, I was experiencing an extreme amount of pressure. Um, I think when the, she did my membrane sweep, she said she, the baby was at zero station. So her head was very low. Um, I was just, I was pretty much in pain all the time with that. Um, so I knew I was getting close. So any day and I was holding off. Well, the night before I had her, I labored all night, but I kept thinking to myself, this isn't the real thing. And I think I was just managing my expectations because I had had so many nights prior that were start and stop labor. Um, and they were not painful contractions still. So I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't even timing them. Um, and that went on throughout the night. I slept in between pretty easily because they really weren't strong. And then normally when I would get up in the morning, my prodromal stuff would always stop when I would start doing dishes or helping my five-year-old, it would always end. Well, these did not. And I was going in for, um, an appointment anyways. and. I, I was actually going in for another membrane sweep, <laughs> um, cause I had just had it and I was, I was 40 weeks and two days. Um, so I was going in to see the midwife and potentially going to do another membrane sweep. And I wasn't even entertaining the fact that I was in labor because I really didn't think I was, they were still the same types of contractions, but they were regular and I still wasn't timing them. Um, so my mom actually picked me up and took me to my appointment and I had my hospital bags, just, I had been keeping those in the car mm -hmm. and I had my five-year-old with me. Well, I got in to see the midwife and the midwife was like, well, are you having contractions right now? And I said, I am, but they just aren't taking my breath. They're not big ones. And she said, well, okay, well, 
you know, do you want me to check you? And I said, yeah. And if you, if you feel like, you know, I'm not making much progress or, you know, you can do a membrane sweep if you, if you feel like that's okay. She's like, okay, well, we'll see what we've got. So when she checked me, I was six centimeters. Wow. So, <laughs> so I mean, I really had been laboring for two weeks. <laughs> um, so I was very encouraged because that means I could have, if I wanted to, I could have gone upstairs to the birthing floor and gotten in my room and settled because that's considered active labor. Mm. Well, at that point I was like, I'm going to go back home. And then after she did the membrane sweep, um, she did just a really little one. I don't even know. She's like, you're six centimeters. You know, I had a huge contraction Mm. and I was like, Oh, I felt that one. (laughs) And she said, I could tell you felt that. (laughs) So she said, you know, she's like, let me check on something. She knew I, at this hospital, there's only one room with a tub. Mm. And so I really wanted that room because the tub helped me a lot with my first labor and I just am a water person. It's comforting to me. So I really wanted that. Um, so she went to go see if the tub room was available and it was. And so she came back and she said, I'm not rushing you. Um, she said, I, you do live kind of far away. I lived 45 minutes away or about 40 minutes away. Um, she's like, you know, you do live far enough away that, it does concern me going home and making it back with it being your second baby. She said, so if you're comfortable, I can get that room for you and you'd have your tub. And, um, I was like, that sounds great to me. So my mom took my little one, um, to my mother-in-law and my husband was working about an hour away. So by the time he got to the hospital, I was in full on active labor, (laughs) like big contractions. Um, and it really just took off. Um, I got up to the floor and managed to get my birth playlist going and my, the gown I brought on and my mom was already doing sacral pressure for me because she made it back to the hospital in about 20 minutes after dropping my first um, girl off. And she was already doing sacral pressure for me because I was feeling it. Um, so this labor was so different in the way it felt all of my all of my contractions were definitely in my belly. And I knew that, um, Georgia was not OP, which I was thankful. I had known that just based on what they had told me about her position. Mm -hmm. But what I felt that was so different was the pressure. Um, and I felt like I wasn't getting relief in between contractions in the sense that of course the contraction was over and I did feel that end, but I felt an intense amount of, I think my, my pelvis, you know, moving, like I just felt this Mm. baby moving down. Do you want a natural birth mama? Then a natural birth course might be for you. Do you see birth as a rite of passage and an important and transformational event that you'd like to feel fully empowered in meeting? Are you, like many other women, realizing that it is time to take back your power as a birthing woman in the birth space and birth your baby your way? Would you like to feel calm and confident as you birth your baby with all the tools you need in order to meet the labor sensations naturally and be ready, body, mind and soul? 
deep, deeply down know that your body was made to birth your baby and that you have all the inherent power and inner wisdom to do so. Are you looking for holistic midwifery wisdom and guidance to assist you and give you all the evidence-based information you need in order to feel fully sovereign in your decision-making around your pregnancy and upcoming birth? Then the Natural Birth Course is for you. Find out more at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. And did you feel like uh, the sacral pressure from that your mom was helping you with? Was that helping that sensation and that discomfort? Yeah. Yes, it did during the contraction for sure. Um, at one point, um, it did. I, I don't know if it was more of a distraction or if it was like actually relieving. You know, it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. It might have just been something I could focus on, but I think it did feel good because I at first I was on the ball with my elbows on the hospital bed. And when she would put pressure on my sacrum, I would push against her. Like I would rock Mm. backwards. And, and so I feel like if, if it, if it didn't feel like it was relieving it, I probably wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, so yes, I do feel like it, it helped. Yeah. A lot of women do really feel that it does help and Mm-hmm. Some just can't do without it. They need someone on, yes, on their like the at all time. time. Yeah, yes, pretty much. I think that's how I was. I'm sure my husband was tired and because he <laughs> took over once he got there. But yeah, I pretty much wanted him to do that, and I I would have you know had no problem telling him if it didn't feel good. But yeah, I think it did help me. Beautiful. So yeah, let's continue the story. You jumped into the pool. You said. Yes, I did. I was so excited to get in there and I, you know, wanted to hold off for a little while, but I was definitely already in transition and I could tell that I was, um, by the way, my contractions were, some of them were double peaking. Um, this was fast and furious. I listened to another podcast where a mom described it as, um, a train running through her body. (laughs) And I kept thinking that because that's how this felt. It was, it just felt stronger and bigger, which is really interesting because my water hadn't broken yet. And so I had my membranes intact and I wasn't having Pitocin. And my husband at one point asked me, you know, do these contractions or do they feel more manageable with those things? You know, cause he knew I didn't want my water to break. I wanted to experience labor like that. And my last contractions, I had Pitocin. So he was sweet to ask me that, but honestly, I was like, they're different, but they're hard. You know, I was working hard. Mm -hmm. Um, so in the bathtub, my favorite position was on all fours and I had the peanut under my chest. And so I would rest on that in between. And my husband used the, um, nozzle, the detachable nozzle to put hot water on my back and he would apply pressure at the Mm -hmm. same time. So that sounds complicated and it was, but I labored like that for quite a while. (laughs) Um, And my midwife told me at one point in between contractions, she said, you know, you're doing so well. And she said, I like this position. You're helping your baby move down. And I just sort of wonder if that's why I was in that, why that position felt good because in a way um, that was the only position I felt like I could manage in between contractions. 
was yeah. on all fours. Yeah, women will, so, you know, if women just follow their instincts, they will end up in the position mm-hmm. that is best for them and their baby because your body knows. Yes. When you trust yourself and you mm-hmm, just listen, you will end up in the most optimal position for you. Yes, it's amazing. So I um, I was ready to be checked. I really, you know, I wasn't feeling pushy, but I think in my mind, these contractions were, I knew I was in transition, but I was like, I need to know I'm getting through it. Um, so she checked me um, and I was seven centimeters, I think. And then I, I labored in the bed for just a few minutes and then I got back in the tub and my transition labor was an hour. So I went from seven to 10 in an hour and that was very hard. There were a couple of contractions where I mentally wanted out. I remember thinking that like, let me out of here. (laughs) Um, and I, I didn't remember thinking that with my first one. I'm sure I did, but I, I was very, I was very conscious, conscious, um, with this labor. Like I was more mentally present, which is interesting. I wasn't, I was in labor land, but I was also very present. And, um, I think that was probably a good thing. I wasn't running from it. Um, but like, I could still hear some of my music, you know, in between. And I liked that because I felt like I, you know, was experiencing it. Um, so <clears throat> I got out of the tub and I was feeling a lot of pressure and my midwife said, well, let's make sure, you know, you're complete. And she said, you can, she told me the whole time, she said, you can bear down if you need to. Um, you know, she was very sweet and she was just there. Josh was doing all of the hands-on stuff, but my midwife was always there. So I loved being able to look up and my mom was there and my midwife and Josh. And it's like, I just saw their faces and then I, you know, would Mm -hmm. go back to sleep or whatever I was doing in between. Um, and she, she was supporting Josh a lot because, you know, I guess at one point she told him maybe to try a hip squeeze and she was helping me move positions and that sort of thing. So she was very present, but I never heard her other than, you know, soft affirmations, which was really sweet. Um, so I got out of bed and she checked me and I just had a little bit of a lip of my cervix left and she suggested I had the hardest time closing my knees for contraction. Like I wanted a peanut in between my legs. I was laying down. Um, I did not like my legs to be close together, which I imagine is probably pretty typical, but um, she suggested maybe closing my knees on my side for just one contraction. If I could manage it, Um, she said it would help get rid of that last little bit of cervix. And it did. It was horrible, but (laughs) um, it did. And so I was, you know, my cervix was completely out of the way at that point. Um, cause she told me that, you know, if not, and I was re- really ready to push that she would probably have to help by holding that lip out of the way. And she, you know, said it would be better if she didn't have to do, you know, it'd be better for me if she didn't have to do that. Um, this is so really, that's why yeah, this is really great information. And I love that you're sharing this because I really want to like add something here because this is really important because yeah, this is, please this, do. is, this is a practice that, you know, as midwives, we get taught in the hospital system um a lot that you know it's not good with an anterior lip and some yeah practitioners then offer to 
lift the lip over the head of the baby during a contraction, which is excruciating. Mm-hmm. Um, or the whole thing about, you know, having to check that you're fully before you birth your baby. All this is very medicalized. Mm-hmm. You know, it is very this thought about uh, that we have to manage the birth and that somehow nature doesn't know best right. and that somehow your body wouldn't do the correct thing. Now, there is, you know, situations right. where a baby's OP, which is back to back, back to mama's back, where mm-hmm. a woman can get the urge to push really early, where the cervix might just be like, you know, four centimeters or six centimeters, something like that, right? And then again, there's this, you know, you should, well, you should definitely not push on that because then, you know, the idea is that the cervix can swell up, that, you know, somehow it'll you right. know, then prolong labor and it'll be harder and so on. <clears throat> but really, when you go to the evidence around this, there's no evidence when a woman is doing what you are doing, which is natural birth, physiologically following just the, yeah, the normal rhythm of birth, actually mm-hmm. There's no evidence saying this, but they've found these kind of swollen cervix happens on women that has been on her back with epidural and pitocin, you know, and then, yes, right. But if a woman like you were doing, you were following your natural instincts, you were, you know, on the force in the, in the tub, in the tub, especially you can be on all kinds of positions, which helps the cervix open because the cervix doesn't open like evenly you know it's totally how the baby is placed you know and how the head is putting pressure and it's all so different right and so the only reason I want to say this both for mamas listening and for birth workers because I know there's midwives and doulas listening to this podcast as well challenge this anterior lip business or this whole thing about oh we have to check that she's fully before she can push like if a woman is birthing she's in a natural state she's following the physiology of birth just let her do her thing because nature knows even with the op babies when you start pushing really early that is actually actually helping your baby get into position you know your womb is working Mm -hmm. to move your baby around so um you know what you experienced is what most women will experience and what i was taught by other practitioners in the hospital system but actually the evidence around this is not really there and I just really wanted to share that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I definitely could see how that is, um, you know, cause my first OB said the same thing, you know, that I had that interior lip left and she held it back for, for a minute while I pushed and it wasn't comfortable. So, you know, she stopped, but yeah, I, I could totally see how that <laughs> is not how, you know, it was designed for sure. No, it's like if you didn't if you didn't check, you wouldn't know there was an anterior lip and you would just birth the mm-hmm. baby, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's dive on in back to the story. So your your midwife said, Oh yeah, there's an anterior lip and she maybe proposed to you for you to be in a different position, did she? Yes. Um I just I stayed on my side, which was just where I was resting, and I just um instead of having a peanut in between my legs, I um closed my knees for just one contraction. And then I was ready to push. So I really had, I had envisioned my birth um, to the point of memorizing it. I, I just found comfort in that. And um, my husband even knew I was doing that. And he said, you know, are you envisioning your birth like you're supposed to? And um, one time he said, um, well, when you envision it, how long is it? (laughs) And I said, "Um, it's about four hours, I think, when I envision it. And he said, what? 
why would you not envision it for like two hours? <laughs> and I was like, because you don't want a precipitous labor. You, you want it to last, yeah. you know, a decent amount of time. You don't want it to be like scary fast. Um, so I was ready to push and I remember feeling scared with this baby pushing. Um, I felt more relief when I was pushing July, this baby, um, I was louder. It was like, you know, I, I said I wasn't getting relief in between contractions. Same with pushing. I mean, it was, I, I felt every move, every inch that she made down, um, and it was fast. I think I pushed for maybe 11 minutes or something. Um, so, um, I, when I envisioned my labor, I envisioned delivering her on all fours. And I had told my midwife that I, if possible, wanted to deliver my baby. And she was totally good with that. And she was like, absolutely. I'll help you however I can to do that. And she, she, you know, she was the one when I was on my side, she said, do you want to get on all fours? You know? And I was like, yes, I do. And so her and my husband helped me. And, um, I was actually kind of, um, not on all full on all fours. I, I found comfort in kind of hanging off the back of the bed and I was on my knees. Mm. Um, and I would kind of pull back on the back of the bed and kind of like, you know, almost like child's pose, but not quite, um, not quite that intense. So when I was pushing, um, I did get a little scared at one point because it just was, it, I said at one point, um, you know, this feels so different than my first baby. (laughs) And my midwife was really reassuring. And she was like, she might be, you know, bigger baby. Uh, you know, she's like, you're doing very well. You're, you know, making really good pushes, but you know, she didn't coach me at all. Um, and it was really interesting to watch my birth video back because I was doing this kind of like yell kind of roar scream type thing, not a high pitched, but it was very loud. And then I would bear down and I would be silent. So I would, it was almost like my body was doing it when I was yelling and then I would kind of give into it. Yeah. Um, which was so different. (laughs) Oh, but, um, it was like, I didn't, I, you know, it was starting to happen and I was like, oh, I don't want to do it. And then I would do it. <laughs> oh man. But, um, yeah, she came out and, um, I pushed her head out and then my midwife said, okay, her head is out. You know, when you're ready, go ahead and push the rest of her out. And when I did that, um, you know, I didn't have the faculties, I think to reach down but my midwife was so sweet. She caught her and then just handed her right through my legs to me. Mm. And, um, I really appreciate that because I did get to have that feeling of, I wanted to lift her right to me. Mm. And, um, I just lifted her right up to my chest and that was so special. That's so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. And it's so common just what you say, you know, what you said, you know, I didn't have the faculty to kind of, you know, just, you know, catch her yourself. It's so common, you know, it's just such a huge thing. And sometimes a mama just needs a breath, you know, sometimes a a few breaths before she picks her baby up Mm -hmm. and that's all normal and okay too, you know, Um, because it's really huge and overwhelming and just so much impressions that is happening in that moment of birth. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, the things that 
stand out to me the most after Georgia was born was that immediately she was screaming and that just, it didn't catch me off guard because it was what I was hoping for, but it was overwhelming to me to hear her cry. I just was so elated and, um, she was, you know, screaming and crying. And, um, I got to, I spent a lot of, I spent like a couple of minutes on my knees, just holding her to my chest. I wasn't like, they, you know, they weren't, um, they were letting me do that, but I was holding her so tight. <laughs> it's like, don't take her, mm-hmm. um, which they, they hadn't planned to, but I just, I just loved that moment. Um, it was awesome. Um, and then, you know, I pretty easily delivered my placenta. They did, um, I think it's active management is what they called it with Pitocin. They just gave me a shot of Pitocin in my left deltoid muscle um, because, you know, with my postpartum hemorrhage, they just wanted to manage that. And I don't know, you know, I think there's like some sort of, um, I don't know if it's true or not, but that redheads can be, um, you know, more, uh, more bleed, like stronger bleeders. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but I've had multiple doctors say that to me. Um, and I was still having, like my nurse kept coming in and doing fundal massage because she was like, I'm so sorry. And I said, well, is my bleeding heavy? And she said, it's more than we like to see, but you're not at a hem, you know, she said, you're not hemorrhaging. So even with that Pitocin, um, you know, I still was having a little bit more blood than I guess they like to see, which who knows, but, um, mm. everything was fine though. So, I mean, it doesn't sound to me, you know, obviously it wasn't a postpartum hemorrhage, which is, um, no. you know, 500 mils. I mean, it's not that much really before it's right. considered. And, and again, it's just so different. Again, this whole thing with the bleeding business, some women barely bleed anything and some have a bigger bleed and it's, and it's just so individual, you know, and for yes. some women, a bit of a bigger bleed doesn't matter. They can handle right. that. You know, they might have really good iron stores or, um, you know, they just, their bodies can handle that. And for some, they can, some can barely handle anything because they came in maybe anemic right. or all of this. And so right. it's just this kind of standard. Oh, so this is how much you can lose, you know, a right. postpartum like hemorrhage. In the box. Yeah. And postpartum hemorrhage, if you're actually having a cesarean, it's not considered a hemorrhage if you have less than a, a thousand mil. So that's a liter, right? Whereas if you have a natural birth, mm-hmm. it's considered a hemorrhage if it's a half a liter. And that's also a bit weird. So, so why would yeah. you handle it better if you got operated on, you know? And so it's all right. these things that, you know, um, it's really just so dependent on the woman and, um, I've never heard anything about redheads. I find it very strange that several doctors have said that. It just doesn't sound um, evidence-based to me at all. Um, it probably, <laughs> it probably definitely isn't. <laughs> no, it made me self-conscious. I was like, yes. "Oh gosh, <laughs> you know, anyone listening who's a redhead, like, do not take this on as evidence. That sounds super strange." But that's again, you know, all these things that are said and done and practiced. It's scary how much of it actually is not from good evidence. A lot right. of things in the hospital and system. And it's just been adopted as yes. gospel, essentially. They, mm-hmm. You know, for example, this the anterior lip business. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no evidence around that. 
you know, that actually so interesting. Yes, is but it's practiced. And I think most mm-hmm. midwives listening to this would go like, yeah, yeah, I know that. You know, that's something that I've and how were you told that? Where where did you learn that? And you know, right. and there's so many things. Um, when you look at policies and guidelines, and you actually go back to you know, so what was that study? And then that study referred to that study, and then that original study referred to that study or that person, and then go back really far, and then go like, hey, this is like the beginning of the 19th century or something. You know, where did it right. come from? Right. Originated, and you know, and how is that still practiced? And why? Right. You know, there's so much to question also about the practices that we do both in hospitals and outside, obviously, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just I find this really important to talk about because um, I know there's also birth workers listening to this. And, you know, these are some things mm-hmm. that we need to question in our practice. Why yeah. do we do this? Um, and is it good evidence or not? Just because it's a guideline or a policy. Mm-hmm. beautiful so your skin to skin did you um yes. have a good breastfeeding moment yes actually she uh, my sister jokes and said she came out nursing um <laughs> she she latched she latched right away which I mean I can't tell you I mean if there was ever going to be a redemption birth this was it because you know I didn't get to nurse July my first baby for five days um mm-hmm. I didn't get to try to get her to latch until the fifth day that she was in the NICU. So to get to um, latch Georgia, you know, minutes after birth was so special. Um, I kind of wanted to try to do a breast crawl and I had told my midwife that, but I ended up just putting Georgia right on my breast and she Mm -hmm. latched immediately. Um, and my mom, you know, got to see that, which was really sweet. And I mean, I was a mess. I was just crying and I was, so overwhelmed with gratitude, honestly. I just, mm. um, and even, you know, my husband afterwards, the, he he said it was four hours. And I, yeah. you know, I told him, I was like, I know, I, you know, he said <laughs> everything you envisioned happened. <laughs> and I was just so, I was very proud of myself. I was very proud of my body and um, thankful. And mm. it, it was great. Um, I'm just glad it went that way. Yeah. And, you know, it just really shows you how, as you followed your instincts, your intuition, you know, from the whole way through, you know, you followed to change care providers to someone or people that you felt safe with, that you trusted, that you had rapport with, Mm -hmm. um, that you somehow knew would support you in this kind of birth that you wanted. Um, and it sounds Absolutely. like the midwife you had truly did, um, truly was that she midwife, did. not a med wife, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah. and you know really assisted you in optimizing the physiology of birth. And then you had that beautiful experience where your baby was born uh, the optimal way, and and instantly breastfed mm-hmm. and had that beautiful healing moment yeah. for you. How beautiful! Absolutely. So if you had a first time mama in front of you right now, who's about to have her first baby and she really wants to have an empowering and natural birth experience, what advice and pearls of wisdoms do you have for her? Um, most definitely, which is the theme of this interview is 
to trust yourself and you a thousand percent know your body best and know your baby best. I mean, I knew what position my baby was in before a midwife could tell me. Um, Our babies are so smart and our bodies are so smart when it comes to birth. Um, And don't let anyone tell you different or try to push their viewpoint on you. Um, You know, and it's so easy to be intimidated, like you said, because we can't know everything and we're not birth workers. I'm not a midwife. I'm not a, I'm not a doula. Um, I've done my share of research, but I can't possibly know everything. Um, but just a kind of a little rabbit trail. I just, you know, went through my, um, went through with my sister with her second baby and it was her second natural birth and it was in a hospital. Um, but seeing it on the outside and kind of being so close to my last birth, um, you know, I really felt for her because it was still very fresh in my memory, but also just getting to see it, um, on the, as an onlooker and knowing what I know, um, it's just amazing how her instincts would kick in and, um, and her, and she knew, like you said, she knew what position to put her body in and, she knew when it was time. I mean, without, without a shadow of a doubt, she didn't have to be checked to know she, she knew she was ready to push. Yeah. Um, so it was, I mean, and of course they still checked her cause we were in a hospital, but, <laughs> um, I just, it was really cool to see that. And so it, it just, it validated and even bolstered that I knew that, but seeing it on the outside, not, you know, not happening to me, but getting to see it, you know, on someone else so close to me. Um, just it all, you know, our bodies and our babies and our instincts as women and mothers will always trump medical advice. Yeah. And, um, what did you, what did you wish that you knew the first time around that you didn't know, but that, you know, now the second birth, pretty much that, that I could stand up for myself and that, you know, when I, when I believed that my labor was going to start on its own without Pitocin after my waters broke, that I should have went with that, that I didn't need to be bullied into taking Pitocin. Mm. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't have had to know that, like you said, I shouldn't have had to know the side effects of Pitocin, that it caused respiratory distress in infants or that it could cause postpartum hemorrhage or, you know, I shouldn't have had to know any of that. I should have just been able to say, you know, no, I think I'm going to wait for my body to take over. Yeah. Um, and if I could change one thing, that's what I would change. But yeah. And I guess that's what you did with your second. And you chose a care provider where you knew that your voice would be heard and you would be respected. Yes. Um, yeah. And the management would be different in case that happened again. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the natural birth podcast and sharing your beautiful natural empowering birth story i'm so happy that this was your experience for your second time around and i know that your story will inspire many who listen to this thank you anna and thank you so much for all that you do your podcast got me through many sleepless nights (laughs) (laughs) oh beautiful thank you so much for sharing that
Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, then please share it. Grade it on iTunes and leave a comment. If you want to connect on social media, you can find me on Facebook as The Spiritual Midwife or on Instagram as The underscore Spiritual underscore Midwife. Thank you for listening.